0: Welcome to the Thriving Artist Podcast, an educational feature of the Clark Eulings Fund for Visual Artists. The Clark Eulings Fund exists to provide entrepreneurial training and business education to visual artists, to turn working artists into thriving artists. I'm Daniel Degree, your host. This episode, I'd like to give a shout-out to our Minnesota listeners. We appreciate you tuning in to the Thriving Artist Podcast and recognize that you're known for fantastic artists like Maud Kegg and Jody Reeb. Now, our guest today is Aaron Lauks. Aaron is a Madison, Wisconsin-based wood sculptor and designer of both abstract and functional art. Aaron prioritizes an ethical approach to building his art using local and reclaimed materials, and his work is on permanent display at North Pine Area Hospital District in Minnesota. Aaron is a Clark Healings Fund Business Accelerator Program graduate and a current Entrepreneur Fellow, which is an advanced fellowship. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Uh, hello. So, Aaron, can you take a minute to tell us just a little bit more in your own words about yourself and your work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you did a really great job. Um, that was a great introduction. Um, but I, I, I guess that one of the things that I would say is that all the work that I do is nature inspired. It relates back to um, our environment and all the life around us. So that's the the inspiration for the work. And I think you, I don't know if you mentioned, but I'm I'm primarily a woodworker, but I'm also using a variety of different mixed media materials and. Many of these are also natural materials as well.
0: Well, I, I certainly find the work beautiful. Um, you know, I took a look at uh, some of your recent displays, and including the one uh, at the, uh, um, the North Pine Area Hospital, and I can't say how impressed I am. I want to ask you, though, um, you're based uh, in Wisconsin, so what is the arts community like in Madison, Wisconsin? Well,
1: the arts community in Madison, Wisconsin is... It's growing, and it's. Um, I, I'm, I'm really feeling positive about the future. Um, we have um, a number of interesting things happening locally that that I see as groundwork for a stronger local regional, you know, impact of arts and the artists uh, in the community. And one of those things that I'll just mention is uh, we have a, a new director of the Dane Arts Commission, uh, which is a local nonprofit group that supports, um, all the forms of arts from, you know, visual arts to music to, you know, performance. And, um, they, uh, he has really taken, uh, the lead, I guess, in starting some new ideas like the Dane arts by local event that brings, um, uh, local businesses and corporations, uh, to meet directly with artists. So that those are a couple of things. One, one of the outcomes of that was we're looking at a, uh, it's called Curatorial Connection. So it said direct local businesses can re- um, rent art directly from artists. So if you have an inventory and you want to um, have active storage and have a little bit of an impact in your own community, that's something that we're looking at. It's, we don't know if it's going to work yet, but just something interesting.
0: Now, you've said that in a previous interview, Aaron, you've said that you were certain you were an artist at age five and that you preferred 3D media. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that early realization?
1: Yeah, I, I guess, you know, it was, I, I'm not sure how to express that exactly, but it, it, it was just, it was clear, you know, I mean, I I did all the normal little kid crafts, you know, I did clay and Legos and drew pictures and made stuff with sticks and whatnot. But it just, I just knew, I, I don't know, it's not like there was a moment or anything. It was just always what I wanted.
0: Well, how did you, how and when did you decide to become a professional artist? Was it that young or did you understand what a professional artist was at five and, you know, when did it happen?
1: Oh, (laughs) yeah. no, I mean, it's been an evolution to actually being a professional artist and, you know, I'm, now I'm 45 and, um, yeah, it's taken me a long time to get here you know I took um, all kinds of art courses throughout high school in fact I, I, I went to a high school that allowed me to basically have six um, classes in a row that were art or study hall classes that you know I don't know I, I don't know how that ever happened but I basically spent my whole senior year just doing art you know it was great uh, but then you know I guess I might have been a tiny bit disillusioned going to college and kind of getting a little more of a Sense of reality, you know, and what it actually means to be a working artist, and I don't think I was just quite ready for that yet. So then I took a step back and had some adventures, including living uh, in the wilds for like ten years. I, I built a yurt for myself and just uh, decided to to go check it out and see what it was like to, you know, live without electricity or water or you know the normal conveniences. And then finally, after that you know, I'm coming around to to really seeing this as not only what I do, but my lifestyle and my you know income.
0: Well, you can certainly see those influences in the art itself. Uh, we're going to give the link to your website at the end of the podcast and also recommend that people take a look. Uh, and we're going to ask you about um, some of the types of art that you produce. But I am interested in the last part that you said Um, that this you know there's a lot of people that go and sort of find their artistic self living in the wild living in a yurt getting in touch with nature uh, smoking peyote whatever you know fancies but they don't necessarily become a professional working artist they don't necessarily generate work of the nuance and subtlety and beauty that you know we're seeing out of you Aaron and we don't say that because you're one of our fellows uh, and in fact, that isn't why you're one of our fellows. It has to do with the business side but uh, but certainly you made this leap and you talk about how um, it became uh, your source of income so so let's ask you about that. How do you derive your arts income? Is it through individual pieces, galleries, commissions? Uh, are there other sources of income that make up your professional practice?
1: Right well, at this point um, my my entire income comes from various different art enterprises. And so within that, you know, I'm doing one-of-a-kind pieces. I'm working on commissions and built-in architectural features. Uh, And I I keep expanding the different avenues of sale. You know, now I'm working with um, e-commerce, which is relatively new for me. I guess I'm very opportunistic when it comes to making a living at
0: art. So you, know, you did artwork for the Pine Healthcare Campus project in Sandstone, Minnesota. How did that project come about?
1: Uh, that came about through an uh, art consultant. So, that, And that's another one of these directions that I'm now putting more energy into is reaching out to art consultants and other uh, dealers and architects and designers and so on. So that anyway, they brokered the deal. So that project was a commission based on you know, the needs and the interests of the Pine Health District.
0: Well, you, there's certainly a level of sophistication uh, that I'm hearing in the the nature and structure of your business. You know, first you said that um, you get 100% of your income off of your art, and that really is the exception, you know, not the rule. It's only about 25% of working artists that derive 100% of their income uh, from their art. So that in and of itself is an achievement. But then... Um, you kind of professionalize certain parts of the process. Um, You're doing these significant projects. You have an art consultant scouting and brokering projects for you. I'm going to ask you a little bit more in a moment about, you know, the behind the scenes of your art business, because, you know, one of the reasons we asked you to be on the show is you really have one, uh, and it's fascinating. But, But first, let's just stay on this project for a second. Tell us about the collaboration with the project management team at Pine. How did how did that work? What were the hurdles, or, or what, if anything, was interesting about that process?
1: Well, I, what I did is I I offered a variety of different concepts, you know, and they have a a board, you know, and they went and looked at the various options that I gave them, and then they came back to me with the things that they liked. And so we just kind of kept honing it that way. Um, th- this particular project was done remotely, so I was able to just send them things through email and have a few, you know, there were a few phone conversations, but yeah, we just had a, a healthy back and forth and just finally came to the idea that resonated with everyone.
0: Well, all right. So I want to ask you then, uh, switching to the business side, uh, in this segment of our show, segment two, I want to ask you about uh, some of the things that you weren't doing before the Business Accelerator Fellowship Program at the Clark Healings Fund. So for those that don't know, that is a graduate-level art business program that teaches you how to professionalize your business and really treat your professional career as an enterprise. Uh, So it's entrepreneurial training, and you've really taken it to heart, Aaron. Uh, so, you know, just to run down the bullet list off the top of my head, this is what I, and you'll correct me if this is wrong, but I understand you've hired interns, you've reorganized your business processes, you've taught yourself Adobe Illustrator, um, for creating business proposals and you've been submitting, uh, business proposals. And of course, um, you're doing other things. So can you tell us, is that right? Is there more? And can you tell us about some of those initiatives? How how did you start them or how did you get into them?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, it was, well, you know, I mean, I described that I was a guy who went off to the wilderness to live primitively, you know, and basically, you know, I I, I didn't have really any business skills to speak of, much less even very good computer skills. So, yeah, no, this has been a huge year for me, a tremendous amount of movement forward, and um, I've been able to use the various skills to back up. The dreams and the plans that I have.
0: Well, let me ask you about the hiring of interns. So, why why did you hire interns? What how does that help your business?
1: Oh well, I you know I can't do everything. I, I just uh, there's there's too much to do running this business. And what I found out was that I can provide social media, and I can have somebody else manage it for me, and it can be a, a win-win. So, and it really has. I mean, my my Facebook and my Instagram have uh, done great this year, and continue to. So I'm I'm seeing a lot of uh, positive results from that, and in fact I've even gotten a few um, sort of callbacks, you know, through social media, which is new for me. Uh, so I'm I'm just really excited about where that's going to go.
0: Well, now uh, speaking of social media, then, so the interns, in part, do social media for you. Have you picked up any insights um, that have been helpful to you over the past year in Accelerator that You've applied to social media that have worked. I think the audience is really interested in, you know, what works. What does Aaron know that I don't know?
1: Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm still feeling my way along, but certainly, I mean, getting the basic understanding of marketing and sales has been a huge step forward, you know. Um, and I I guess I've learned to uh, hone my message a little bit more and, and just to really just kind of keep hitting that same message and. Uh, I guess it's the repetition, and then trying to find the ways to amplify that message. So,
0: you know. Let me point out that you know I'm looking at, for instance, your your Facebook stream, Aaron Lau Design, and you're doing several things here. I mean, you're you're obviously posting. Uh, pictures of your work, but as we talked about in the accelerator program, you're not just posting the pictures. I mean, so many artists will just go, here's another one, here's another one. You you actually have descriptions of the work, what it is, um, what to you is significant about it, or or what went into it. Um, So so that's something I, I certainly notice. You're certainly posting your events. And so you're sort of keeping people, you know, informed with a news stream. So they sort of have the inside look behind your art, and and then they have um, the inside look or the outside look of uh, what you're doing out in the world, which kind of complement each other. And, and then you go farther and you sort of show your work in situ, you know, on display in certain places, not just sort of you know in a white photo i forget what they call those photo boxes but you know you wrap a product in a white box so that there's no shadow and nothing but pure white behind it It, your your work isn't in those settings very often you're showing the work actually being displayed uh, where it goes the other thing you've done is you've kind of created a powerful narrative. And, you know, I hope you don't mind me sort of calling this stuff out, but this is tried and true, the kind of stuff that, that we're teaching at Accelerator. You're creating kind of a powerful narrative about what goes into your your work. You're giving us one of those how it's made sort of inside looks uh, into the, the auto factory of your art, so to speak. And we can kind of see it coming together and and the processes are fascinating. So to me, that this is a very sophisticated... This goes beyond just hiring a couple of interns to run it because, yeah, they're young, they know social media. You've actually put some thought and strategy into this, Aaron.
1: Yeah, you're right. And I, I would say that the, last thing that the last two things that you said are I've really noticed... Like, I definitely get the most likes for the process stuff and for videos, and I'm, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, so I like to have really good video that you know it's high quality and all that so i I don't always have as many videos available, but we've even reposted a couple of them and they still get new likes so it's um yeah, I would agree with that totally uh, uh,
0: just a uh one more note about this stuff you've sort of been doing you you taught yourself Adobe Illustrator now that seems i mean I don't know how to use Adobe Illustrator and I'm a really technical guy, you know I mean I I've been using software since most people, you know, before most people knew there were computers available that you could take home with you, and you, you, it seems like an amazing thing to do um, for creating business proposals. Why did you do that, and how does it help you?
1: I use I'm using InDesign, not Illustrator, but it's still very complicated.
0: Ah. My apologies to Adobe, who is not currently a sponsor of this program. But if you'd like to be, you know, talk to us yeah. immediately. We'll...
1: <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's still Adobe. It's just um,
0: ah, it's another Adobe yeah. product. There you go, Adobe InDesign.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good one for laying out different kinds of text, but using imagery as well. So, like, it, it just it's very friendly to you know photos and other things like that. And the reason I chose this is because I'm trying to tap into my local resources, and I have. A friend, actually I have two friends who are graphic designers and they both said that they would help train me. And so that was, I was just tapping into my local resource that I have here. And yeah, and it's, and I'm still learning, but it's, it's been great because now when I'm trying to create a really awesome submission for a commission project, I can do this, you know, and before I couldn't do it, I had to get somebody else to help me with it.
0: So has it has it made uh, an impact on you know professionalizing sort of the look and feel of your business proposals? Has has it made them more effective, or have you had more receptivity?
1: I think so. I mean, uh, one of the things is that the the world of corporate and public art commissions is is very very competitive, and and so before I wasn't even playing the game, you know, I, and now I'm playing the game. So and I and I actually got into like a first round on a project that was like this fall, I didn't, I didn't end up winning that project, but you know, that was pretty good for, you know, one year to get started in, on this stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, that's, you're playing the same game that every entrepreneur is, you know, I run a business too and, uh, three of them actually. And, and, uh, what we know is fail off and fail fast. You know, uh, I gave a business proposal the other day that we put some hours into and it didn't go. We didn't get that client. We'll get the next one. Uh, so, but you got to play the game, right? In order to to really, you know, yep. get there. The people that are too shy to get in the arena and and ask for what they want and make those proposals and pitches, they of course they stay where they are, right? So, I'm I'm excited that you're doing it.
1: Yeah, and, and this is I, I got to say that this year with CHF and and writing the investment grade proposal, you know, it all kind of clicked a few months ago for me. I I realized, wow, I can. Revisit this project that I was working on uh, about six years ago to build a solar photovoltaic sculpture that was that's functional but also aesthetically beautiful. And you know, at the time, this is a huge project that has so many different components to it. and And now I realize I actually have the skills that I need to start creating this project to make a investment grade proposal that I can potentially have you know find either commission or investors, to help me with
0: this. You're listening to the Thriving Artists Podcast with Aaron Lauks who went from wilderness to full-time visual artists. This is an educational feature of the Clark Eulings Fund for Visual Artists. To support this effort with a gift of any amount, visit donate. We'd certainly appreciate any help in ensuring working artists receive valuable business education in digestible formats they already routinely consume. Now, Aaron, you're repped by a DC gallery. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, actually, and again, this is another another new thing that's just come up this year. Um, so, so the gallery is Zenith Gallery, run by Marjorie Goldberg, and um, you know we had. Well, I was just remembering Gonzalo and what he was saying about finding a gallery that you know he says it's, it's like finding a wife, you know, <laughs> and it was like his point being that the the relationship you have to have a very comfortable feeling and a rapport and a trust. And so all those things have to be there. And so I I met Marjorie about a year ago and we just really clicked. And she's also an artist herself and does woodworking. So that was a natural point of connection, but there was a feeling of, of trust and being on the same page and all that. So um, it's, it's been good. I, she's shown my work in, uh, I think two or three different exhibitions, which is which i'm I'm really pleased about.
0: yeah well, that that's certainly a compliment to your uh, participation in our program. So we're really honored by that if we contributed to the sort of background and educational uh, platform you needed to to go and and actually shop around and recruit. A gallery to represent you. That's actually a, a major goal that people come to us for. So um, we're happy that that's successful. So how has your approach, Aaron, to business changed uh, over the course of your career in general? Not just with regard to, of course, the past year, but you know, certainly if you remember when you first entered the market, I'm betting that you're not doing or seeing things the way that you did and saw them uh, when you started out.
1: Oh, yeah, no, that's that's true. And I, I think that there's, well, I mean, clearly, there's a divide between what we do as artists and business itself and and how that works. So I think being able to, I guess um, you know wear two different hats and and be able to switch back and forth between different ways of thinking, just something that I wasn't really doing when I was younger. You know, I was just way more focused on the art and the adventure and all that. And now I'm, I'm seeing the more practical side and the, you know, understanding that, you know, how you have to
0: think in these different ways. And that can also be creative as well. So let me ask you this. What have you done well in your business? If you were to say, this part I, I've, I'm good at, this part I've done a good job, uh, what, what is that part?
1: I think that I probably am good at working with clients directly and that I can listen to what, what uh, a client is, is wanting and try to bring my influence to that project and, and create something that, that they want in the end. Yeah, I've, I've found that that's when doing commission work that um, that's one of my strong points.
0: Now, Aaron, do you have a long-term plan to thrive in your business? And if so, what's the plan?
1: yeah i'm I'm just uh well as i mentioned earlier i'm I'm continuing to pursue more of these public projects corporate projects and um in other words bigger larger commissions but I'm also continuing to do original work I'm continuing to do e commerce and look for other private commissions you know it's it's like a scattershot approach that and, and the fact is is that I like doing all of those things, so it works for me.
0: So, Aaron, what about emotionally? Uh, would you say there's a quality that has sustained you? Because I don't think that you um, you, you found it always easy. Uh, and, you know, many working artists, through the challenges of growing their business, say there were times they felt like uh, quitting. So did you ever feel like quitting? And, and if so, what got you through it? Is it, is it just pure grit or, or what?
1: I've got a great support system here. My wife is just, she she is really supportive. In fact, um, when we got married 10 years ago, she was the one who suggested that maybe I should try for being a professional artist. And so, I'm I'm definitely crediting her with a lot. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, all artists know how hard it is. You know, you you have these moments and I mean, even this year, like in August, I was flat broke um, and it just, it wears on you, and it, and it it can be hard to have the perspective at those moments when you're just really trying to make everything happen, and it's it's not. But I have to say that you know you you said earlier that I'm like one of the 25% who are leading a full-time art career, and I've I've been able to over the course of this year take a step back and say, wow, I I am successful, you know, and I I would you know I, I just never really had that perspective before you know and just literally surviving as an artist solely on our income is is a big deal but yeah it's i've definitely felt i've definitely felt like it was like i might have to quit at at various moments but i guess tenacity the support of my loved ones and and then something always comes up you know
0: well, you know, I, just for the sake of the audience, Aaron, I'm going to uh, correct myself on that number. It's 28%. It's close to 25%, right? It's less than a third for sure. But you're right. 28% of uh, working artists, less than a third, fully support themselves with their art. And and so there is this issue of sustainability, and, and it can be quite discouraging. Um, and, you know, there's, there's other um, facts like that. In fact, we stated on the front of our website that you know, working artists um, are twice as likely to have graduated from college. On the whole, they have 200 percent more education than everybody else. Um, yet they earn, on average, in a year, um, six thousand dollars less than other um, professionals with this with similar education. And more than uh, a third are self-employed versus 10 percent of the general workforce. So they're most are entrepreneurs. or a good a good chunk uh, more than one third are entrepreneurs, and yet there's this disparity of, I'm an entrepreneur, but I don't make all of my money from my entrepreneurship. So it is, it is a huge achievement. And One of the ways, uh, that you gain income, of course, is art fairs and art fairs have become a little bit of a controversial topic. Uh, maybe not so much, but I like to poke the bear. So I'm going to ask you, uh, Aaron about, um, this whole art fair process a little bit, just a, a couple of insights. So Aaron, uh, you actually, in a previous interview, you mentioned a particular art fair that asks for a small commission, and you said that that kind of shared risk approach is pretty rare. Uh, but it is fascinating. What do you what do you think of that framework of an art fair asking for uh, a commission from, you know, participants?
1: I think it's a better model, or, or at least I think it's a model that is more artist-friendly and that shares the risk more evenly. My experience with art fairs has been, First of all, it's a really good way to get yourself out there initially, and being able to talk directly with your your potential clients is huge so i've I've learned a lot by sort of starting out with art fairs and i've I've learned how to present my work i've I've learned how to communicate with a variety of different people and um, and I made some sales, you know which is great, and took some commission some commissions but in my case, and in the kind of work that I'm doing, because there are some artists who have a much, much better time selling work at art fairs. I I have a difficulty selling art at a show. It's big, it's expensive, you know. So when you have to pay, you know, several thousand dollars up front to attend one of these events, and then you come home with, with nothing in your pocket, that kind of hurts. And, and it's hard to have... In my case, I couldn't sustain too many of those shows um, even though it did help grow my business, right? So, um, having an event like the, the Dane Arts by Local, which is this local uh, business to business show, it just, it's, it's a much more artist friendly approach, and um, I appreciate that aspect of it.
0: Well, I, I like that. I mean, you know, um, so an artist risks nothing uh, by going and setting up, but gains nothing if they don't sell. Uh, so eventually that's, that's kind of a discouragement. Um, if, if you're not set up to sell, but you also, you know, the, the, you basically don't lose anything. Um, if, if you have a bad week or if it's just, you know, if there's rain or or whatever it is, I mean, I love it that you're not paying the money up front. You're paying on the, on the exchange of value. And that seems like more of a partnership with the artist, less like the artist is dependent. So I, you know, and sort of just taking what they get. So I, I really just love the model. I think it's beautiful. Well, let me ask you then, are you seeing changes in the art fair? I mean, you mentioned this is local, but are you seeing changes in the art fair structure overall?
1: I think, you know, as, as we see the, the, the changes in buying behavior, you know, like, uh, my experience is, is, uh, collectors just they don't they're not buying the same way that they used to and they don't typically they're they're not buying for at shows very much you know a, a lot of people have told told me this a lot of artists and so despite that i mean we're seeing more new art fairs being started and uh you know just sort of a status quo in tr- in terms of the way that art fairs are run and i i don't know I'm, my feeling is that if art fair if the event organizers a little bit of that risk, I think we would see a a much more creative approach to to how these shows are are put together. It may or may not ultimately help because I I think we might just be seeing this as a decline. But anyway, those are my thoughts.
0: Well you've praised the buy local movement. Um, Are there any ideas, um, do you have any ideas on how the art world in general could sort of incorporate that ethos uh, on on a wider basis?
1: Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that I, I think there is some possibility to apply bi local ideas to art. I mean, the one of the things that I've seen um, over the last ten years is this uh, CSA. You know, and, and normally we we think of that as community supported agriculture, and so uh, in, in various places, you know, including Chicago and Cleveland and. Minneapolis, and probably many more out there now than when I first started looking at this. But they're doing a community-supported art project. And, and you know, there's I see different models. I guess personally my feeling is it's, it's a little bit difficult to template community-supported agriculture onto community-supported art. In other words, you know, paying a share of money for sort of a, you know, basket of art doesn't necessarily apply as well. in in this case. But I do like the concept generally in that putting up funds initially, you know, could help create a steady cash flow for artists and but also maybe there would be a way to give clients more choice and the ability to commission art that they want. So I I don't know, I think that I, I think there's a lot of cool ideas out there and I I'm just I'm very interested in being a part of it.
0: Well, I, I love that. You're, you know, clearly uh, you're bringing a sense of experimentation and adventure, you know, that I still keep relating that back to, you know, your sort of wild wilderness time. Uh, you, you're not the cliche of, I slept in a yurt, I, I was in touch with the universe, but you sort of brought back uh, values that infused your art, but are also affecting how you um, you think about um, the art world in general and, and what the opportunities are. Um, let me ask you um, about though being sort of a Midwestern artist. So, uh, is being a Midwestern artist, is that part of your brand uh, and part of that buy local philosophy, or or did this market sort of find you?
1: I don't know what Midwestern artist means. I guess, I, guess, I mean, maybe, maybe. Is that how we are in the Midwest? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it, I, I never really thought of it in terms of, you know, like a, a regional thing. But I, think, I, I mean, it's, it's, my, it's my value. I think that maybe that does resonate here.
0: Well, all right, so there's two different things, and, and that's what I was trying to get at. You know, um, so, you, you take, for instance, Clark Healings, um, for which uh, you know, the Clark Healings Fun Thriving Artist podcast is named. Um, you take Clark, and he is often sort of pegged or, or placed in the niche or box of being a Western artist, right? And yet, an enormous number of his paintings are of rural uh, France, uh, Spain, Italy. Uh, and have nothing to do with the old West in the United States. Right. And so um, but there's a sort of aesthetic there that gets sort of overlapped. And so people sort of pigeonhole him as as a Western artist at times. And and it's you know, it's he's so much more of an internationalist and a naturalist than that uh, or an internationalist and a naturalist. So with you, what I'm hearing you say is that being Midwestern or living in the Midwest um, are two separate things and that uh, being uh, you don't think of yourself as a Midwestern artist, but that the buy local uh, portion of things that that um, that is part of the sensibility that that helps generate your market. Do I do I have that right? Is that what you're telling me?
1: Yeah. And I guess the idea that, well, I mean, we live in a global world right now. I mean, we're all connected, Right and so I I don't think this idea is or should be specific to a region of the world, and if it has value, I think it should be shared. You know, that's my approach, and I guess in terms of being pigeonholed or classified um, in respect to Clark Ewing, you know, I I feel a little bit of that, too, sometimes. You know, uh, a lot of times, folks don't know where to go with what they see, you know, they're like, well, what kind of work are you doing? Is it art? Is it design? And, you know, in my own opinion, it's it's all connected, like you said. um,
0: So, Well, I I do want to ask you about that, actually. So, um, you know, when I look through your portfolio of work, uh, a good deal of it is what, you know, may be called functional art. I mean, people say design, and it's like almost a marketing term from the outside, or it's a theoretical term, you know, design. Sort of is a feature of many, many facets of life. A, a TV or a, a mouse or a poem uh, pilot, you know, has design. Uh, you know, a can opener has design, and and yes, the design goes into uh, any kind of a sculpture. But if we just set that aside for a second, um, your not all of your art, but a portion of your art is functional art. You can sit on it. You can set your glass on it. Um, you could serve a meal on it or have coffee on it. So. My question is, does that make you or help you think of your art more as a product and help sort of stoke some of this business sense you've developed around actually focusing on sales, doing proposals, and going after revenue as an artist? Or is something separate coming out of that?
1: I guess that um, for me, it's it's not necessarily or exclusively about the business end of it. For, For me, it's about... Connections, right? And I expressed earlier that that what I do is about a connection to the natural world, and I want people to connect with my work in that same way. You know, so if if I'm giving them a functional piece of art, it's, it's giving them permission to you know have it in their home, use it, sit on it, all of those things. And I, I think by integrating something like you know like a chair or a table or or whatever into to your home, it just I think it gives it more life, personally.
0: Now, Aaron, I'm going to um, switch in our final segment to talking about, with you, the Business Accelerator Program. This is the graduate-level program run by the Clark Healings Fund. For those listening to the podcast for the first time who are not as familiar with the educational programs we offer, uh, we offer them in several ways. One is digital Uh, 24-7, as you need it, education on demand. And so that's through our learning portal at clarkhealingsfund.org. The other method is through boots on the ground, uh, in-person education, and that's us sort of carrying um, the principles of of business and entrepreneurial education to working artists in local communities uh, and helping them also find the ability to collaborate better uh, to collectively strengthen their professional practices. And then the third leg is this graduate program of which you've just um, uh, completed a, a rather rigorous course and uh, gotten your diploma for year one. And uh, now you, are, um, you were elected an entrepreneur fellow for year two and, and given a second award. So first, I just want to say congratulations. Um, it's a great achievement, Aaron. Thank you. Now, um, I want to ask you, uh, what has been... Uh, the most eye-opening thing about the program so far or and, and I'm not even really focused so much on the accelerator program but just sort of you know as I said we teach these uh, we have these three types of educational um, activities but they're all sort of putting out the same thing right like you've listened to several of our podcasts and used our our digital portal you haven't just uh, been a part of the the accelerator program so in terms of the education that you've gotten through the Clark Healing's fund what What's been eye-opening? What's stood out?
1: Well, I, I think that, that what's really been great about this, this whole process is creating this kind of momentum, which involves all of the fellows and this kind of a ongoing evolution of, of, the, of various you know, business concepts and how they relate together. Uh, so I've really fed off of that this year and you know, that energy
0: now before you, are are your goals different now than than before when you started the program
1: yeah i, I did i i i mean I, they've evolved you know and i think that before i started i was really at a, a transition point anyway because i had i had been doing mostly art shows um and was really kind of struggling with that and so now the chf business course has uh, Accelerator has um, pointed me in the direction of of these other avenues of sale and, and different approaches, ranging from being you know working with galleries to doing these public commissions to you know e-commerce. So anyway, it's it's really broadened my my mind and uh, approach to how my art is relevant and how it, how I make money at it.
0: Tell us about your investment grade project your your pivotal project to advance your career what what's the project
1: well again it's it's focusing on developing the corporate commissions and and public works so bigger you know more higher end commission work and um so i'm I'm continuing to do everything that I need to uh, to make you know better proposals to learn more
0: so um you know, year two, Aaron, is going to push your IGP forward, um, and uh, you're going to be clarifying an individual action plan with uh, our team uh, on how to sort of get your um, your investment-grade proposal into a, the shape where um, it's shoppable and it can be underwritten and, and funded and so on. So I want to ask you, where do you see yourself at the end of this year, going into year two, and in the end of twenty eighteen, where do you see yourself?
1: Well, I, I think that I feel like I'm going to be able to uh, get um, on the road to achieving the bigger uh, solar sculpture project that I mentioned earlier, and that's how I'm I'm hoping to evolve my IGP because that's a project that does need funding. Um, it's it's a large project. There's a team that's involved. I have, you know, I'm working with Whole Trees, which deals in round wood and um, solar contractors here in Madison and fabricators, you know, metal fabricators. And so, I I mean, I've already started to assemble this team to, uh, you know, create this design.
0: Well, sweet. So uh, let's briefly talk for a minute uh, as we wrap up about um, the 17 other fellows in the program uh, this past year. Now, you worked in teams or or collaborative groups. Um, Has anything new emerged from that collaboration that wasn't there? in your art practice or business or consciousness or life before?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm friends with a number of the fellows and have received really good, you know, advice and feedback and support. So, yeah, that I mean, that aspect has been really great to connect with a variety of artists. who are they're all, Everybody seems to be working in, in, in a different medium or style or whatever, so it, it's it's been nice to have that diversity.
0: All right. So Aaron, uh, one more question about the program. If we just focus on a concept, the concept of success, because, you know, um, when sizing up an artist, when somebody says I'm an artist, there's a wide range, right? you know, I can go down the street and, you know, in the back of a jewelry store, there's somebody that sort of, you know, has something they did with blocks up on the wall and and says they're an artist, but they're not selling any art. And, uh, and their art's not being shown, or they're not showing it. They're not doing any much more than, you know, they're actually making it, and that's fine. Um, and that's one level of success if they're happy with that. And then there's sort of the other end of the spectrum of I'm Jackson Pollock, and you know, people will define that as sort of the pinnacle of of success, et cetera. And so I think when people talk to artists, they, in their head, if they hear, I'm an artist, they, they tend to think, well, are you a successful artist? You know, what do you mean? (laughs) And I wonder if for you, Aaron, the definition of success has evolved either during your tenure in the program or, or in your career overall, since you first started dreaming when you were five.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it certainly has. And like I mentioned earlier, having perspective really helps because, Sometimes you don't feel like you're successful, but, but you are. <laughs> and, you know, I do get to be the lucky guy who who gets to follow my own drummer and create the beautiful pieces of art that, that I want to make and also looking to be relevant, you know, in the community and the world and, and find, well, products that are relevant too. I mean, I make a lot of different things ranging from, you know, wall art to functional to... To sculpture, to the architectural things, you know. So it's what I do is I, I look and see what what people want, and I'll emphasize that.
0: You've been listening to the Thriving Artist Podcast, an educational feature of the Clark Healings Fund for Visual Artists. If you've enjoyed this program, be sure to subscribe to new episodes and review your experience on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in. For more information on Aaron's work, visit AaronLauxDesign.com. That's Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, Laux, L-A-U-X, Design.com. For more information on the Clark Healings Fund, visit ClarkHealingsFund.org. To sponsor our learning programs with your impactful gift of any size, visit clarkheelingsfund.org slash donate. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Aaron. It's been really great having you.
1: Thank you, Daniel.